Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And today's guest is Inder Koholi, vice president and CIO at Englewood Health. Welcome, Inder. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Well, we, we had you uh, do a little short video at Chime. I'm glad to get the full version today. But before we dive into today's topic, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and Englewood Health. Sure. So I have I have a background in software engineering and, and technology management, but my really journey with healthcare IT started over, I would say, now 22 years ago. Uh, it started with me working at Columbia University Medical Center, and I was lucky enough to land at a place where the cutting and informatic research was going on. And, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth in healthcare IT and was fascinated by how the technology which we developed in labs eventually made it to the bedside of patients and, and impacted their lives. So I made a conscious choice to stay in healthcare and, and really my journey started with that. After Columbia, I, I spent about 13 years uh, working at HSS where you know it offered me an opportunity to really implement technology solutions which directly affected patient care, helped my clinicians take care of patients, a very fulfilling and rewarding experience. Uh, I took a leadership role there, um, contributing to various projects, including EMR, imaging, mobile technology, innovation projects. And, and which brings me now to my current role at Englewood Health as a, as a chief information officer and a thought leader, where my primary role, I would say, is to really align all the technology initiatives with the organization, um, organization's priorities, their strategic vision, and their growth objectives. Um, I oversee all of technology portfolio, biomedical engineering, and also very involved with all of our digital um, digital transformation initiatives, as well as the new and upcoming all generative AI-based functions. Interesting. I mean, let's go back to the beginning. You said you were working on cutting-edge technologies. Was that like floppy disks, or <laughs> like it reminds me of like a consultant yeah, told me that one time? That wasn't like... that long ago, believe me. But <laughs> it was uh, when I say cutting edge, because the biomedical informatics really was born out of the Columbia department in many ways. And, and really that's where I learned about how we are utilizing data for either natural language processing or and, and, and a simple aspect of generating alerts out of an EMR data to really alert either the clinicians or the researcher. I think those kind of things, a, a heavy utilization of data and tools to impact patient care, to develop therapies, to develop uh, diagnosis, wow. all those kind of things. Um, that was all very new for me. I was in banking and financial industry before that. Uh, so, you know, the software programs um, kind of, you know, uh, delivered what we all were experiencing in those times. But this hidden aspect of healthcare was new for me that how much technology is in play behind the scene. Yeah. I was just reminded of a, a consultant who one time told me, John, you should have seen the cutting edge punch cards we implemented and how it transformed the billing for healthcare. I was like, <laughs> I, you know, I get perspective matters, right? Like, Absolutely. <laughs> it was cutting edge at the time. Yeah. That, but it sounds like you were working on some, I mean, early NLP uh, stuff. That's really interesting. 
Yep, and you know now you think about it. Uh, you know the the application of that NLP is now coming in play in terms of practical implementations. Yeah, but what I'm talking of was almost 18, 20 years ago. Exactly. I mean that, and it's funny we almost take NLP for granted now, <laughs> which is right. crazy how 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 it's evolved. Well, let's talk about uh, cybersecurity, uh, you know, hot topic for every CIO. It's what keeps them up at night, yeah. I think. How are you approaching cybersecurity? And and maybe is there, you know, one security thing you've done that you'd recommend to all other healthcare CIOs? Sure. So I'll, I'll do it in two parts because it's a two-part question. Um, so one thing is that I'm kind of all in on cybersecurity. And, and, and how I'm approaching is really a functional cybersecurity program goes much beyond tools, much beyond solution. And that, that has been my approach because tools and solutions only give probably half of the story of how to keep your organization safe. Mm -hmm. It's the processes, the people, the workflow, um, the methodologies we implement. So I implemented or, or started working on a cybersecurity program for this organization almost two years ago, we're following a this framework. Um, and of course, tools are at the forefront of it, but really the, the goal is a, a, a large scale awareness. So from a senior leadership, right from the, uh, the, the C-suite, all the way to the frontline manager, everyone is aware of their role in keeping the organization safe. Um, everyone in my team is fully aware of what their role is in keeping the organization safe, which is, Utilize the tools, but follow the best judgment, follow the processes. Uh, that's how I approach it. Interesting. Did you have to drive the, you know, the the senior level executive buy-in on this? Or did they come to you and say, Inder, we need you to go all in on this? Like, how did that play out for you? So I would say it was inherent in my role when I took on a role, I think the Number one job is to keep organization up and running, which I say is the run part of the organization and, and, and closely aligned with that is organization safe. Mm -hmm. So I would say I'm lucky to be working with the senior leadership group who understand the importance of, of uh, being safe and understand the importance of uh, cybersecurity implementation, how inconvenient they may be for our users, for our clinicians, but they are necessary. So. I would say I didn't have to do a whole lot of work in in, in aligning them with the with this messaging, um, but I did spend a lot of time in, as I said, is about people, process, and methodology. Uh, yes, I did bring in some new tools, and we consistently bring in new tools. But again, tools was not where my um, big issue was. My big issue was just an awareness, education, and understanding their role. So you also asked about one thing which I'm very proud of, which I implemented. And I think that's, uh, you know, I want to call it pioneer, but it's really, we are definitely the early adopter of an uh, AI machine learning based SIM, uh, okay. security even an incident management tool. Uh, so this, this is where I think the whole world is going now, right? We don't want to program our tools to configure the rules and then those rules catch on to whatever, uh, um, abnormalities show up in our network. Uh, this is a tool which is self-learning. This is a tool which is consuming and digesting, you know, I would say exponential amount of logs. I used to have countable number of logs going to a same now I have almost 1000 individual logs. And then we have 
compute and we have algorithm to process it and really come up with the projections of where the risk will lie. So definitely something I'm I'm very proud of uh, would be implemented. And you know it's been over eight months go, uh, since we went live with it and we're monitoring it closely. And again, a technology which is going to consistently evolve and only going to get smarter. And yeah. you know, one other piece I'll say, right? All the all the bad elements and criminals are using AI ML for all these tools. Why should we not be using it? Yeah, it's a good point. And, and you're yeah. right that there, there's no way for a human to look through all those logs. I mean, I, I just did an interview wow. with Brother about their scanner and their printer, and they can actually send logs to <laughs> a, a solution like yours, right? And it's like, well, if all these devices are, are logging data, you know, it, it has to have AI to be able to look through it. Humans can't, right? And then more importantly, you, we don't want to be in a business of going back and configuring rules when a new threat vector appears, right? That's where these tools can learn. They can they can collate data from external sources and immediately shore up our protections. Very interesting. Okay. Let's talk about your digital transformation journey. You know, how did you start? Where are you at? You know, how, how do you look at digital transformation in healthcare? So that is something which I started working here as soon as I started with this organization. And it it came as more as let's reimagine our care through digital lens. We are delivering exceptional care in Englewood. We have a single electronic medical record all across our 150 locations, single patient view. So we have all the underpinnings which were needed um, to, to transform to the next level, which is more digital first approach. Now, one of the, the way we approached it is that we, we cannot just attack on all areas of digital transformation because it's an endless list. <laughs> so we had, a, we had a focus, we came up with a strategy, which is a two plus year old, uh, two plus year strategy, two to four years, but then we came up with our priority areas. And the priority areas are actually, I think the most common ones we all attack first, which is really uh, a consumer experience, patient experience, convenience because one thing which we all have learned over the last few years is consumers slash patients are expecting convenience. They wanna they want to interact with the health system at their time of choosing at their convenience. And that's where the digital front door offers them that. That we we and that you know and one thing I would say with the digital transformation strategy is how we approached it it's it's really operational alignment first. Technology is uh, not a majority portion of it. If at all, it's 40%. The remaining 60% is our operational alignment. And the, the difference with this is we have to transform ourselves uh, to the needs of our consumer and patients. Uh, we in healthcare are, have transformed all along, but we always have transformed in a controlled environment. Our clinicians our users, our workflows, we can break them apart, rebuild them. But now we don't have that luxury. We have to really think what our patients need and then align us to provide that digital experience to them. So that was a guiding principle of our digital strategy, really, to patient experience. And then if I may go on, a couple of other important pieces of it, right? You, you bring patients into your health system, existing or new, through this digital experience. Once they're here, and I mentioned, we have a single patient record, single patient view all across the institution, and we are in a best position to offer them a clinically integrated care. So we made it easy for 
patients to have a follow-up with other specialities, whatever care is needed, we can set them up in a very streamlined manner and with a convenient manner for them as well as for our clinicians. And the last piece is uh, when they are not with us, so once they have taken the care, they've consumed uh, whatever services they needed with us and they're back home if we need to continue to monitor them for either for chronic conditions or for other reasons. So care beyond our, so to say, physical walls, that's what the technology enabled care transformation, whether it's remote patient monitoring and care coaching and those things. It's interesting you talk about operational alignment. I'd love to hear, do you have an example of maybe some of the competing interests or competing priorities you had to navigate as you implemented this transformation? Uh, you know, as you said, technology is just one part of it, right? You can have the best tool in the world, but if if the team's not behind it, if the patients don't use it, who cares, right? <laughs> so you, you're correct. And, and that's where the success of a digital transformation lies in leadership first. Uh, I am lucky to be surrounded by leadership who understood the value of this digital transformation for our health system and got behind it. So it is one of our organization's strategic priority. What does it mean? Our senior leaders are aligned on it. And that alignment goes all the way down to the frontline manager, to department directors and the managers. Now, that's just a, that's like us telling that the, all initiatives related to digital transformation are priority for us. And then we do and break it down at an individual area level. Um, an example here where I would say is why alignment is very important. If we allow, if we enable patients to check in, uh, answer their questionnaires online, and they show up here and they have completed all they needed to do, then my operations cannot be functioning in a manner where we assume patients have not done it. That's the key because that will that will frustrate a patient who has done yeah. the work, right? If they hand them a clipboard again and say, "Do it again." Or <laughs> figurative clipboard, I would say, right? Um, sure. You know, if we even ask the same questions again, uh, so I think that's the alignment. That's where we need to work with our frontline staff, and and we all need to align before we roll out a program. And that's exactly what we did. You know, first six months of after the launch of this strategy or transformation was mostly working internally with our operations before we launch any technical solutions. Hmm. I mean, you've offered some key insights, I think, to successful digital transformation, senior leadership buy-in, operational alignment. Are there any other things you'd offer, you know, that you did or that you've seen to be able to drive that successful digital transformation? So um, I would say... Once you have an operational alignment, I think the, the best way to move this forward is to show them some quick wins because initial buy-in happened and then you need to continuously engage them because it's it's a journey, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint and no organization can go all out. The, the, the beauty of digital transformation, it allows us to be more agile uh, and we can, we can launch a program as a pilot and we can get some success out of it. We can get some learning experience and then immediately expand it. And that's how why I've done. So show some quick wins and quick wins is absolutely measurable targeted data. Mm -hmm. if, if it meant you know, more patients, if it meant more tests, if it meant more uh, a better clinical outcome, we, we have been measuring it uh, for every program we launched. Uh, but, I would again, you know, I'm sure all my colleagues are also on the same page that we, to have a meaningful impact, we need to quickly expand beyond pilot. 
Mm. Uh, we cannot have five pilots going and call it a digital transformation. <laughs> My goal is to have pilot and an immediate expansion plan for it. And this is a continuous evolution. So you need to continuously engage your participants, whether it's consumer and also your clinical leaders and operational leaders in the process. Two other things I will mention here. Um, it requires bold decision-making because uh, the ecosystem and digital transformation world is where maybe we don't have a benefit of going with top three EMR vendors and you know either one will be uh, a success. Here, we, we have an ecosystem of startups, new, new functions, new technologies. Some may work in our environment, some may not. Some companies may thrive, some may not. So we need to be able to take that risk. But I go back to the point of being agile and nimble. Um, if you try a pilot and if it works, we can obviously then expand. If it doesn't work, uh, we don't have to wait 18 months to get a result. It could be in three months and then we should be able to you know, move on to what works for us. And the what works is also across every system may have its own needs and every system may have its own success factors. Doesn't mean that if it doesn't work for me, it will not work for anyone. So that's where every organization has to do that internal alignment as to what works with our patient population, what works with our clinical users. Interesting. I love the idea of quick wins, although you highlighted something that I think we maybe forget sometimes, which is communicating the win, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. so, so maybe the CIO sees the data and the, the increased three throughput, yeah. you know, increased revenue or whatever, or even better, the patient's yeah. story that they had a great experience and they appreciated it. You know, how often do we communicate that down to the frontline worker so they understand the yeah. impact it's having, right? I think we miss that sometimes. And, and you're so right on that. And, and I would say, Thankfully, we've been doing a good job in communicating to department director levels, and then the assumption is that uh, uh, information is shared down to, and, and of course, with our core group who works with us. But I agree that quick wins uh, is very important, not only at a CFO level, but really at the front desk registrar level, who has changed their workflow to accommodate this. And they want to feel good about that they are making an impact and making a difference. And, and absolutely a great point there. Yeah, and they may read their email more than the doctors, so uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Interesting. Well, let's switch to uh, you know everyone's favorite talk to topic, uh, AI. We talked about it a little already, even in yeah. your security approach. But what's your view on generative AI, and how should a CIO be approaching this generative AI revolution? If you <laughs> evolution, you know, you started off early in studying that, so interested yeah. to hear what you think. So, as I said, AI is nothing new for us CIOs. We've been utilizing AI in our environment and infrastructure tools, security tools for a very long time. But what really caught everyone's attention since last year is the generative AI. And, you know, believe it or not, somehow chat GPT has become synonym to AI. You know, like Coke used to be synonym to soda in the past, right? That's uh, interesting. But, but it goes it goes much beyond ChatGPT. ChatGPT, I think, exposed what AI and generative AI can do for you. Um, so I think it caught everyone's attention. So as a CIO, I would say, or for even for my peers, um, we, we absolutely wanna get ahead of this in a responsible manner. That is my approach. Because if we don't tackle it, all of our users and physicians and clinicians are getting bombarded with 
um, options to change their lives forever uh, <laughs> by multiple vendors and products. And I'm not saying they don't work. I'm just saying, you know, they are, they, they, what was the, I think the, I don't know, it's a hype cycle, but it took one month for ChatGPT to acquire a million users. Uh, it took, you know, Facebook and Instagram over five years and uh, yeah. over 10 years. So, you know, the, the speed is fast and everyone is tuned in. Um, so my approach on this is, uh, and we are slightly different. If you are a large academic medical center and you want to set up your own large language models, yes, your approach will be different. You have different challenges. I am on, on the end where I want to utilize functions offered by my current vendors and solutions. Um, if I need to bring in a third-party vendor, but approach is very outcome-driven. Uh, if we have an outcome to achieve, if I have a problem to solve, that's where we bring in. And that's where uh, our digital strategy, which I would again say was nimble enough um, in the process that we were able to accommodate that, uh, that we, we want to now start looking at options for our clinicians and efficiency solutions for them. So my approach is to, to carefully evaluate what solutions are being presented by our existing vendors or the new vendors in the space, map it to what our uh, strategic objectives are, our immediate efficiency needs are, and of course, it has to map to some sort of a ROI, whether it's, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be exactly the dollars, but it is efficiency, quality, safety. I am just not implementing a tool for the sake of implementing tool, but we definitely are evaluating um, certain solutions in our space. You highlight such an interesting point though, that mm -hmm. doctors, clinicians, nurses, et cetera, are hearing about AI improving other hospitals, <laughs> other organizations, or even mm -hmm. their, their life in general. If you don't communicate that you have a plan, then that's going to totally alienate them and say, our organization sucks, you know, why aren't they doing it? Yes. And maybe you have done the analysis and, you know, there's risks, whatever, you know, it goes back to communication again, which is fascinating. You're correct. And and we, we have a governance in place where we are carefully reviewing it and we're communicating to our physician leadership and clinical leadership that we are evaluating certain products. We will be piloting certain products. Uh, I mean, all of AI products have a pilot as, as a first step, and that's the right way of approaching it. But there are institutions who have gone beyond pilot and implemented and are realizing benefit. This is definitely um, a transformational change. It is, I predict this not to be just a hype. It's gonna, it's gonna make a big impact, but I also believe we are at the very early stages. We have just scratched the surface, right? And, and as transformative this technology is, we will very soon need to add uh, a very robust governance around it. Um, you know, I always say programmers have been kind of excluded from any sort of governance and licensure requirement all these years. You know, you want to be a barber in the country, you have to go and get a license, you have to <laughs> adhere to certain principles, code of conduct, and then only you can really touch a person. Um, but software programmer, you can really just start That's working true. on it. And, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, you can cause some harm by the, how, how ingrained the technologies are in our lives. And, uh, you know, whether it's auto driving or whether it's medical technology. So um, this may be, this may be uh, a catalyst for some sort of a licensure requirements or, or robust governance around the algorithms we put out. Very interesting. So 
Is there an IT topic that maybe not enough people are talking about in healthcare that CIOs should be talking about more? Is there something you're worried about, you know, <laughs> that you're seeing that you're like, why isn't why aren't more people talking about this? So I would say, I don't know if, if not no one is talking, but a lot of us are at least thinking about it. I am absolutely thinking about it, is the technical debt we carry. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll take 30 seconds to give a background, right? In healthcare, 2009 was a, a transformative year when the American uh, Recovery and Reinvestment Act came in play and EMR became a requirement more or less for all clinics. Because initially there was an incentive and then there was a penalty of not having electronic information. So since that time, we have accumulated a ton of data. And... Now, really, the promise of large language models and this increased computing power is that we can really make a difference with that data. And we've been making difference with the data in predictive models, in analytics, but they, you know, the promise is much more with large language models. So all of us should be thinking about our data quality, our data structure, how well it is aligned, how clean it is, how well our systems and data are integrated because that's going to be the foundation for the next transformation, which you know I believe we are at a cusp of over the next five, seven, eight years, where all of our data and all of our infrastructure will become a baseline. And depending on that quality, we can realize much significant benefits. And you know I say data, but I also call the technical data and infrastructure. If, if we are still maintaining an old infrastructure, non-integrated environment, I think this is the time to in parallel work with because as we we don't want to be behind we are absolutely looking at all our ai use cases but going forward um, in parallel we should be preparing ourselves for really the next wave of this transformation yeah that's what i wanted to ask you is how do you define technical debt for a you know a health system a hospital is it the legacy the legacy applications? Is it the legacy infrastructure, the networks? Is it the legacy data? Is it you know our systems that you know you know most of the EHR systems were built before I was born, which is fascinating. You know, like, <laughs> and so they have their own technical debt that they're trying to deal with. You know, how do you see the technical debt as you you, you know? And I, I mean, you could even say technical debt, almost like data debt, right? Where we've you know, been uh, capturing a lot of bad data that's going to not be good for large language models if it's bad, right? If it's bad. So uh, I highlight data because that's where the focus has been. You know, focus was not to collect data. By digitizing all patient information in the process, we collected a lot of data. Some structured, some non-structured. Okay, now we have data warehouses, data lake houses. We can do something with the unstructured data, mine it better. Uh, but still, there's uh, there's nothing like having a structured data which you can trend over time, which you can utilize for patient care. So data, I highlight. Um, Infrastructure-wise, I feel, I don't think we have a lot of debt to carry because we, we've been modernizing our infrastructure. I've been modernizing for, for like every single day I'm advancing that part. I am a little worried about legacy applications, yes. Um, how do we keep them secure? How do we keep them uh, safe within the organization? Um, legacy data, uh, which was you know scanned. Earlier versions of EMR were scanned documents. Uh, whether it's useful or not, but somehow we keep carrying that. 
but that's not what's going to feed a large language model going forward, right? Or maybe it will. I, I'm not that educated on the algorithm. <laughs> you have the OCR and NLP yeah. on the PDF. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> wrong, but that's how I am focused on is more on uh, aligning of a data and infrastructure to enable what we need to do. Back to EMRs, yes, EMRs have been written, but EMRs have been in internally um, working on, on revamping their interface, their programming. I know of the two major ones are in the process of doing it. So, so I would, for an organization like us who rely on our EMR vendor and other vendors to deliver, I'm gonna assume that they are also thinking hard about, about their debt and how to get rid of their debt as we continue to evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we always like to wrap up these uh, episodes with a little bit of career advice, career discussion. So what's the best piece of advice you've been given in your career? You know, there are a lot of people who give you advice, which is great, right? <laughs> some uh, good, some not. <laughs> you know, I, I think every, every advice worth listening, one thing that has stuck with me, and this is um, relatively recent, uh, is that... Uh, the role of leader, and we can talk about all of those things, right? The motivate, to lead, to align, um, all that. But one of the uh, one of the things which stuck with me is the role of a primary role of a leader is to make work easier. And and as I dissect it, it means when I am responsible for assigning work for my team, uh, my role is to take the complexity out of it. My role is to to help them break it apart and build it in a manner that that is less complex than what the original problem was. And that is how you win over your teams. That is how your teams can deliver more. Um, I'm fascinated by that. I want to start practice. I've been practicing that and I want to continue practicing that in every situation that uh, comes across my desk. Wow. I mean, uh, uh, as a leader of healthcare scene, my company, Healthcare ID Today, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna chew on that one too. That that's a great concept of the leader should make your job easier. Love Bye. that. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you uh, hopping on and sharing these insights and perspectives. I really uh, learned a lot from you and uh, and the challenges and the successes you're having at Inglewood Health. So thanks so much, and thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for the CIO podcast by Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcasting applications. Thanks, Ender. Thank you, and thank you to your listeners. It was great talking to you.